Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right, my name is Dwayne. I am a grateful recovering sexaholic from Texas, uh, sober since August 2nd, 2011. Uh, grateful to be able to be here and share my story with everyone. Um, you know, I'll start from the beginning. Um, I was born to two alcoholics. Um, I was the youngest of four, four kids. Uh, I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, my oldest brother is 15 years older than me, and then it goes 12 years and then 10 years, all older than me. And I remember, oh, pretty much from the time that I, uh, could learn how to count. Uh, add and subtract, that I figured that there was a huge difference in age between myself and my older siblings. And uh, from that point on, I had it in my mind that I, I was a mistake. And as I got a little bit older, I kind of figured that, well, my parents are alcoholics and uh, very violent to each other. And I figured, well, they must have um, you know, got drunk, got into a big fight and had makeup sex and, you know, voila, I pop out. And, uh, and I carried that with me for the majority of my life. Um, I, uh, both my, I got a sister and my, one of my brothers are, are also alcoholics. Um, and it's just something that, that, you know, I carried with me and it wasn't until, you know, coming into recovery, uh, and, and learning, you know, getting a higher power, uh, you know, and, and talking to, you know, having a sponsor tell me it's like, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And that was probably one of the most eye-opening, you know, uh, I guess realizations for me that, you know, that, that I wasn't a mistake, you know, that I'm, I'm here for a purpose. Um, as far as, you know, th- the addiction, I, I think I, I was born to be a sex addict. Uh, I remember, you know, probably about the age of four, five, six, somewhere in that, that area, that all the friends in, in my little town, country town in Pennsylvania, uh, were all older than me, at least five years older than me. And there was a little uh, neighborhood girl uh, who was the same age as me, and they would, uh, you know, make us get undressed and, you know, rub on each other. And this is something that continued probably, I don't know, for maybe a year or so. And, you know, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing or what the purpose of anything was, but I just remember, you know, doing that, like going through the motions. And I, I, I don't even know where, you know, I guess maybe the older kids told me what to do, 
because I don't know how at that age that I would have really uh, known what it was that I was doing. Um, but that, like I said, that continued on for, for maybe a year or so. And during this process, you know, my sister, who was 10 years older than me, she would, uh, she was always supposed to be at home when I got home from school. And she never was. She was always hanging out with her boyfriend. But she, when she would come home, she would tell me, it's like, don't tell mom and dad. And, and, you know, she would tell me that, you know, if I didn't tell mom and dad, she'd take me to the basketball game because she was a cheerleader. And I always liked going to the basketball games with her because I liked the fact that all the other cheerleaders would, uh, you know, dote on me. And, and I really liked that. You know, I liked having, you know, even at that age, at, you know, a young kid having, you know, these older girls, uh, you know, telling me how cute I was. And, and, you know, again, it's just, you know, looking at my past and that, that's just another, you know, thing that, that I look at that just created this, uh, sex addiction. And during this process, you know, was, you know, living with my mom and dad's alcoholism and with the the violence. Uh, you know, somehow I always managed to be the only one at home. My siblings would all were either old enough to be out of high school or old enough to be out, you know, running around. They had their own cars. And I'd be at home where my mom and dad would have their alcoholic, you know, rages. And being in my bedroom, hiding under the covers, listening to them, you know, literally punching each other. And then waking up in the morning and having my mom, you know, tell me some lie about why she got a, a black eye or a busted lip or something like that. And and even at, you know, eight years old, I knew that my mom was lying. And, you know, quite honestly, thought she was a dumbass for staying with my dad. And eventually they did get separated. And uh, at nine years old, you know, my mom died in a car accident. She was drinking and driving and was killed in a car accident. And so I ended up moving in with my dad and his girlfriend at that time. And that was uh, pretty much a living hell for me. Um, they, My bedroom was right next to theirs, so I would constantly hear them having sex. Um, and the bad thing is, is I would have to go through their bedroom to go to the bathroom. So there were times where they'd be having sex and I had to go to the bathroom really bad that I would literally open my bedroom window and pee out the window. Um, I remember times of laying in my bed and, and pretending that I was coughing or, or choking on something just to get them to stop because I didn't. You know, just the sounds were just nauseating to me. They made me sick to my stomach. And usually when I did that, they would just tell me to shut up and go to sleep. Um, you know, while living with my dad and his girlfriend, I found, unfortunately, I found all kinds of, you know, Polaroids and other, uh, other things that I, you know, a, 10, 11-year-old should not be, be finding. So it, it was very, uh, very dysfunctional, very dysfunctional uh, ways to, to learn about sex. 
Uh, I remember it was about that same time where, you know, that I really discovered masturbation. Uh, and that was pretty much by, you know, accident. Uh, I remember sitting in the bathtub and washing myself and uh, discovering that, oh, this feels pretty good. And that was the the start of, you know, uh, masturbation, obsessive masturbation, really, for uh, probably the next 30 years until I found recovery. Um, at, at 13, my, my dad got sick. He had uh, a tumor in his uh, spine that paralyzed him from the waist down. And um, for about the next six months, well, we were told that my dad had six months to a year to live. And, of course, when I found this out, I was devastated. And I remember going up to my bed and laying in my bed crying. And it wasn't so much that my dad was dying, that I was crying. It was more that, okay, my mom's already dead. Now my dad's going to die, so I'm going to be an orphan. Uh, I thought for sure that, you know, once my dad died, they were going to take me away, put me in an orphanage, and I'd never see my brothers or sisters or aunts and uncles or grandparents again. Of course, at that time, I didn't realize that I could live with, you know, either one of my family members. And the thing is, is that no one told me anything different. For the next six months, as I would, would... come home every day, wake up every morning, uh, essentially waiting for my dad to die and seeing his health deteriorate every day. And no one sat there and told me that once my dad died that I would move in with my oldest brother and his wife, who at that time he was, I think, 26, 27 years old. But no one told me that until after my dad died. So... Growing up in a family that did not talk to each other, did not really communicate unless it was uh, through drinking or through yelling or screaming or something that was sarcastic or mean, you know, there was no communication. Uh, so after my, my dad passed away and I, I moved in with my brother and his wife, uh, that was uh, was really difficult because, one, uh, at that time I was 13, I was uh, extremely pissed off and angry uh, that, you know, I have no more parents. And my brother and his wife were really ultra-conservative and religious, and up until that point, I really didn't go to church. <clears throat> You know, I might go to Sunday school with my friends, and that was about it. And it was only because I was just hanging out with my friends. So going from that into living where I had to go to Sunday school and church every Sunday and every Wednesday, uh, it just added more to my resentment and my rebellion. Um, And in the process, you know, come to find out once I came into recovery, I come to find out that my oldest brother, who I lived with, who was ultra-religious, was also a sex addict. Um, Of course, I didn't know that until I talked to him after coming into recovery. But it's no wonder when I, you know, found, uh, you know, pornographic material. 
you know, while I was living with him and his wife. Uh, so, and that's about the time where my drug use and alcoholism really took off. Uh, I was, you know, able to, I had friends who had parents who, who drank a lot and, you know, they stole alcohol and, you know, I had an older cousin who was 21 who would, who would buy alcohol for me. And I remember stashing it under my bed, just hiding it anywhere. And at that point, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, the sexual acting out at, at that point, I don't think was, was really major. Uh, I still masturbated. I still looked at my brother's, you know, pornographic material. Uh, but at that point, I feel, you know, I'm, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, you know, that, that's normal. Uh, but at that point, my, the, probably the biggest issue was my drug use and, and alcohol. Uh, I was, you know, smoking marijuana all the time. I was able to get my hands on cocaine, uh, you know, doing speed, uppers, you know, just whatever I could get my hands on. And, you know, just to, you know, comfort myself from just this extreme amount of resentment and hatred that I had towards everybody. And a lot of that was directed towards my brother and his wife. And that all came to a head my junior year in high school, where I woke up one morning getting ready to go to school and just, you know, pretty much told his wife that I thought she was a bitch, that I hated her, that I hated my brother, and that I'm leaving. And and I did. I walked out that morning, went to school, and, of course, halfway to school, I realized, uh, you know, what the hell did I do? I don't have a place to live now. Uh, which I ended up calling my sister and eventually moved in with her, who uh, really just kind of helped me with my alcoholism. Uh, since she was an alcoholic, uh, there was alcohol all over the house, and, and she told me I could drink it. You know, as long as I give her some money to replace what it was I drank, I could drink all I wanted, and just as long as I didn't drink and drive. Uh, so I thought that was great. And, you know, I spent my last year and a half, uh, in, in high school living with my sister. And, uh, you know, at, at about that time, halfway through, I turned 18 and I was able to, uh, to go to the video stores. And the one that was in near where I lived, they had a, an adult section. And now that I'm 18, I thought that was great. I can go in and rent these movies and rent the movies I did. And that, I think, was really when my sexualism kicked off. Because every chance I had, I would go and, and rent movies and sit in my bedroom and, and watch movies, watch pornographic movies. Uh, through this period, I, I had girlfriends off and on. Uh, probably my, my most serious was my, in my senior year of high school where we dated just about the entire year. And, you know, it was another, nothing real major, just the kissing, touchy feely type stuff. And I didn't actually lose my virginity until about a month after I graduated high school. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what it was that really, 
stop me from it. Uh, I believe I had many options or opportunities to, to lose my virginity before that. And I think um, it, one of the main factors is that, that I was scared. That I was scared that I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Even though I watched all kinds of movies that sh- showed me how to do it all, uh, and, it, and it wasn't really until I went to a party at my best friend's house, and there was a girl there, and she just pretty much, you know, just kind of drugged me into the bathroom and took total control of everything. Uh, and I continued to date her for about another two months until um, until the summer of uh, after graduating that. I went into the army and probably in that two months, you know, I mean, it was, um, I mean, what can I say? I, you know, I, I made up for lost time with this girl and, you know, I, I went into the army, um, when I was 18 and I, I joined it because I knew at that point that I wasn't, uh, mature, responsible enough to, to try and go to college and do all this studying because of my, my drinking and, and using drugs. And I figured, well, going into the Army would, would help solve that. And, you know, that actually, you know, sometimes I think that actually kind of made it worse. Because uh, I, went, I went to Berlin. I went to Berlin, Germany about two months after the wall came down. And, you know, living in a, in a major city for two and a half years where there was a sex shop or, uh, you know, a brothel, it seemed like, on just about every corner. And since prostitution was legal, uh, you know, you had no, no worries about getting arrested for anything. And, and, again, I took, for two and a half years, I took full advantage of all that. Uh, and after... I left Berlin, I came back to, got stationed in Oklahoma, and pretty much continued from there. Uh, there wasn't the, the brothels, or, but there were, you know, the strip clubs and the massage parlors, and after being in Oklahoma for about oh, maybe three or four months, I met my wife, and we got married, and of course, I thought that would, you know, really help. Because at this point, I knew that, you know, the the masturbation and uh, uh, the the porn and going to strip clubs was just getting really out of hand. And you know, I figured, you know, meeting my wife, and and she was, you know, a little bit older than me. So I figure she's more mature. She's going to help me settle down, and, and everything's going to be all better. And it, it was while we were dating. For about the year and a half that we were dating, it was. I I wasn't going to clubs. Uh, I wasn't looking at porn. I I can't even sit there and, and say if I was even really masturbating on my own all that much. Uh, but I still had the alcohol issue going on. And it was after we got married uh, and she got pregnant that then everything started coming back. Uh, I started going and buying porno mags and and getting uh, movies. And so it was, 
getting really bad. And then after after she had our son, uh, then I started going back to the massage parlors. And as this, as you know, it's just disease getting progressive as I went along, and I could feel it <clears throat> inside myself. And even our, you know, my wife and I's relationship was was going down the tubes at that point, and we hadn't even been married for a year yet. Um, but we managed to to keep the marriage going. I I got out of the army and became a uh, a manager at a restaurant. And I don't know if it was because of transitioning from military to civilian or or what it was, but I was miserable. I mean, my life was was really miserable. I, I you know I would have you know suicidal ideations and you know just not wanting to be around on this earth. And that's when I working at this restaurant is when I had my. Uh, a first affair, where it was a long-term affair, uh, lasted for about four months. Uh, my wife found out about it. Uh, we were separated during that period. Um, got back into, you know, my wife and I were still start, still talking, trying to work things out. And I eventually, you know, told my wife that, yes, I'd go to marriage counseling with her. And so we started going there, and I remember the first day of going into the counselor and and telling him that the only thing I wanted out of this was the easiest, uh, least destructive way of getting a divorce. You know, I didn't want to stay with my wife. You know, I thought for sure that this woman I was having an affair with was the woman of my dreams. You know, I thought I was in love with her. Uh, Excuse me. But it, it didn't turn out that way. You know, I actually, my drinking got to a point where this woman I was having an affair with, she actually dumped me because of my drinking. So, you know, I kind of thought, you know, I'm kind of screwed here now. You know, my wife uh, kicked me out, and now this other woman, she kind of gave me the boot. And so I went into therapy and was really working hard at it, and it really helped uh, my wife and I, you know, work on our marriage and get back together. And what I learned from, from, from that one experience was that, you know, you know, the grass is not greener on the other side, you know. And from that point on, I never had another affair, another physical affair with another woman. Um, and... So we went into therapy, and probably about two years later, we finally got the Internet, and this was in 2000. And once we got the Internet and I found all these nifty little sites on the Internet, I was, you know, in hog heaven. And I I could use my, my imagination. You know, I could go on here and look at all these pictures and, and just see and live in my own head, which is what I'd done as a child, living in my head. Um, And it wasn't until 2006 where my wife got tired of finding porn on the Internet, on our computer. And she told me I needed to get help. 
So I went to see a therapist who recommended another S program. And so I decided I would go and, and try this other, you know, uh, 12-step group out. And I went to about, oh, maybe about three or four meetings. And when I go to these meetings, I thought, man, these people are sick. These people have a lot of issues. I'm not as bad as these people. And so the last day that I went to one of those meetings, I actually stopped at a liquor store and bought a porno mag, went to the meeting site, sat in the parking lot. I didn't go into the meeting. I sat in the parking lot looking at this magazine and acting out. But yet, I still didn't think I was as bad as those people who were sitting in that room. So after that night, I never went back to another 12-step meeting until 2008 when uh, all this stuff started coming out. Uh, that my wife, I don't know how my wife does it sometimes, but, you know, she just, she knew something was wrong, uh, and she just kind of kept pressuring me. And I finally just just started spilling things to her. Um, and that was in 2008, and it would, wouldn't be for about another nine months until I started SA. But during this process of spilling things out, it's just, it, it's what a therapist told me that, that I was going to uh, in about 2009. It's like I was doing staggered disclosures to her. It's like I would tell her just enough for her to get off my back about something. And then it'd be good for about a week or so, and then she'd start hounding me about something else. And I'd tell her just what she wanted to know. And now sometimes some of the stuff that she wanted to hear wasn't exactly true. It was stuff I was making up just to get her off my back. So fast forward to 2009 uh, is when I started coming to S.A., and that's when uh, I, I could really see that I had a serious issue, a serious problem. That's when it actually dawned on me. And uh, I was in SA for about two weeks, and then I was able to get some good sobriety, and I stayed sober for nine months. And Joanne, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but um, we have about six people on the line, so... Um, uh, okay, okay, well, I'll wrap it up. I'm sorry, I wasn't even paying attention to the time. Let me just wrap it up real quick. Okay. Your okay. is awesome, and I hated to interrupt you. <laughs> okay, no, that's fine. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I'll just wrap it up here. So, you know, like I said, you know, with all this insanity that we're going through, you know, you know, everybody says it, and... and you know, this 12-step program saved my life. You know, without this 12-step program, uh, God knows where I'd be. I know I'd be divorced, and, and you know, who knows where I'd be living right now. Uh, you know, working, one of the things that, that's really helped me is really learning how to surrender my lust. Uh, you know, and it's something that, that I had to be reminded of just a few weeks ago, you know, with just within my relationship with my wife is is surrendering, you know, everything that is is wrapped up. And and real quick for anybody who don't know what surrender looks like, what I was told by somebody when I first came into SA 
and he was a Vietnam vet, and he knew I was in the military, and he said, just imagine being in a battle. You're the only one left. You have no more ammunition, and you got a 100 enemy troops surrounding you, and there's no place to go. There's nothing you can do, and it just comes to a place where you just stand up, put your hands in the air, and just say, you know, take me. You know, it's like if I'm killed, I'm killed. If I'm captured and tortured, so be it. And that's, you know, something that has really helped with me get sober and stay sober. It's just throwing my hands in the air and saying, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. God, you you have to show me and direct me. So with that, I will uh, I will pass with that. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.